How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Ruthless Sensgression edition of the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? I'm getting kind of distracted right now because I got my window open here and uh, I'm just getting my neighbor's barbecue. Oh, yeah? What are they grilling up on the barbecue right now? Smells like chicken. Ooh, what kind? Of, I wonder what kind of chicken. Like, do I wonder if they put some like kind of glaze on there or something? That would be good. Like, I could go for a barbecue chicken right about now. Yeah, I'm not smelling anything too fancy, so. Oh, well, that's disappointing, Tim. Sorry to burst the bubble. Yeah, it's okay, Tim. You kind of let me down there a little bit, but something that's not going to let me down down today is the fact that we got a special guest co-host for today's episode. Our guest today is somebody who you may not recognize his name or face, but you will recognize his voice. He is one-third of the Sens call-ups and is getting a long-awaited call-up from his Sens podcast to become a third-line plug. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from Ottawa, Ontario, our guest co-host from the Sens call-ups, Canuck. Canuck, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for the intro. Now, let's be honest here. If I'm on the team, I'm going to be much more than a fourth or fifth or seventh line plug. So uh, you haven't seen me skate. Things are going well. Thanks for the invite. Now, we're really excited to have you on, not only because the Sense Cops were a huge influence in starting third line plug, but also because we got a fully loaded episode today. I'm super excited to have you on because... Today, we've got to talk about a big-name cover athlete. we got our second-half recap and two games, including the final Battle of Ontario for 2021. But before we do anything, guys, we got to settle some business. Now, Canuck, I don't know if you knew this, but about four years ago when we first started this podcast, Tim and I actually came up with an interview wish list. And we're going to call a little bit of an audible right here because this isn't technically an interview per se, but we're going to kind of... We're going to look the other way, and I'm going to go ahead. As you can see, there's an interview wish list right here, and you, my friend, are on that wish list, so I'm going to go ahead and cross your name off the list today. Sydney Crosby, check. Mark my thought, check. Oh, I wish check. I could have gotten that. Check. <laughs> Yeah, we know we haven't gotten Mark Mathot, but we have gotten a former Blue Jacket and Senator Ron Tugnut. So, you know, take it for what it is, I guess. Nice. Nice. That was a really fun interview. It was so good. I The only problem with that interview is that on his end, his internet connection was so terrible. And all you hear is, and I'm just like, oh, come on, why? And then I hear him on Wally and Mathot, and it's perfect. And I messaged Tim going, that son of a bitch! I cannot believe that his internet connection is so good for that episode. Oh, well. no hard. He no. Probably learned to get a new one. Yeah, probably. It's probably it was probably because of us. That's probably why he upped up his internet connection. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is our season four finale. In other terms, season four, episode eighteen, in chronological order episode 95 or 162 total just figured to throw that in the matt duchene edition of the third line plug sends guys so just a little background about matt duchene he was drafted third overall in 2009 by the colorado avalanche he played eight full seasons for colorado before being shipped to the ottawa centers in 2017 in a package deal he went on to spend parts of two seasons with ottawa recording 50 goals 
57 assists for 107 points in 118 games before being traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets at the 2019 trade deadline for Vitaly Abramov, Jonathan Davidson, and a conditional first-round pick in 2019 and 2020. The pick in 2019 turned out to be Lassie Thompson. So, Kanaka, I'm very interested to get your take here on Matthew Shane because he's a guy who I don't know if fans are are going to be able to look past the fact that the team went into a complete nosedive once he arrived here. Yeah, I was one of those who was excited about the trade at the time. Definitely came with a cost, and it seemed a little bit like, a, okay, we're going to go for it kind of trade, right? One of those. Uh, so I was excited. But then what happened afterwards? Who could have predicted that? Like, it, like what happened in Sweden? What did Matt do? Is Matt cursed? Is uh, <laughs> it is quite unbelievable, and uh, it, it's interesting to see the teams that he is, you know, when he was in Avalanche, uh, and then here as a senator, and then down as a predator. Like, wow, what what? Or actually, sorry, there was the the Blue Jackets in there before that. Like, wow, uh, there's certainly some bad luck following that guy, or maybe there's not a coincidence, you know. In hindsight, that was a terrible trade. Didn't feel like it at the time, but we gave away futures, and then we proceeded to sell off the team the following season, or later that season. What's funny is I feel like everyone and their mom on Twitter just really jumped down Joe Sackick's throat for that trade, and hindsight being twenty twenty, he killed it. He really did. He waited out and worked out for him. Yeah, and I know for even for myself, like looking back at the deal, I was kind of in the same boat as you Canuck. Like I was really excited to see Matthew Shane, given what he had done with the Avalanche. He's coming over a team that just came off being in the Eastern Conference Finals the year prior. And I think for myself, I I don't know if it's a curse, but I think it has to be more than just a coincidence. And I think for me, I I feel it's the same way with Taylor Hall. It just seems like everywhere Taylor Hall has been, the team either bottomed out or they ended up with the first overall pick at the end. And he was a Team Canada member, too, so that got you all excited as well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, watching him play, and, and he was good. He was a good, skilled player, clearly skilled player. One of the things everybody noticed was almost how he could, what was it that uh, the reporter or the announcers would say, he could stick handle in a phone booth. Like, he just really very skilled hockey player. But did he, when you were watching him, did he ever resemble your prototypical Team Canada player? He's not something I would associate with grit and power forward and, and that sort of thing. He just seemed like a skilled winger. Yeah, that's honestly, that's a very, very good way to look at it. And I think for me, when I look at Duchesne's tenure as a senator, the funny thing is, is that, yes, while we can obviously look at how the team went into a nosedive afterwards, but the fact is, like, he did give us some really good moments as a senator, especially in that first year when he was here where him and Mike Hoffman got paired together at the end of the season. And you could look at the score sheet where it's like Duchesne by Hoffman, Hoffman by Duchesne. And then of course all the stuff with Hoffman off the ice happened and that ended up happening. But one of the things I really appreciated about Matthew Shane was that even in a second year, you can tell the talent was there. You can tell he was such a good player, but Pierre Dorian just really, really didn't really have a good grasp on where this team was heading. And it was heading in the other direction, unfortunately for him. 
Oh, yeah, I had one conversation with uh, Matt Duchesne at a uh, Sens, it was like a season ticket holder event, kind of a, uh, I think it was called the Sens Soiree, mm-hmm. something like that. And, I mean, all those hockey players, they're all polite and everything like that. But my impression when I had the very informal conversation with him was uh, almost like a politician, just saying what you think you want to hear. Because uh, at that point, it was uncertain about his future. And uh, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but like, well, you know, we, we want to stay, we want to make this work, but it didn't sound genuine. And, and if you listen to the media interviews, I always kind of felt that as well. Just kind of always saying what you think you need to hear. Funny, I was going to ask you about that, just because I know that I, th- I believe you and Pan were season second holders for a number of years. And with going to those fan fests, I was going to ask about Matthew Shin, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And I know a friend of mine who I used to work with, he did tell me, because I think he had played very briefly with him in Brampton in the OHL. And he says, I asked him about Matt Duchesne because he had just arrived. And I said, man, what was this, he, that guy like? And he's just like, the guy is simple. That's all he put it. He just says, yeah, very simple individual, really polite, but just a simple human being. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a compliment, does it? No, no, honestly. No, I mean, honestly, it's better than some of the stuff I've heard other people say about him, but we won't go there on this episode. So we're going to segue away from talking about our cover athlete, Canuck, because we've got some big business we got to deal with right now. We've got to talk about the 2021 Ottawa Senators second half recap. Now, before we get into that, one thing I always like to do when we have somebody new on the show we've never worked with before or got a chance to talk to on the podcast is we like to do a little segment where we get to know them better. And for myself, being a listener of the Suns call-ups, you know, it, it seems like I seem to know you guys well, A, because I follow you on Twitter and we interact, but just listening to you guys on the show it just seems like three friends getting together to listen to the podcast. And I know you've talked about in the past how you became a Sens fan. But for those who didn't hear that segment, do you mind talking a little bit about how you became a fan of the Ottawa Centers? Sure. I, I don't even know if it's an amazing story or not. So I, I grew up in New Brunswick. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. And I actually didn't follow hockey until I moved uh, outside the city of Fredericton. And my neighbors were big hockey fans. So we're, we're talking like grade eight-ish. Now, at that time, in that area of the Canada, you were probably either a Montreal or a Toronto fan. Those are kind of your your, your choices. Nowadays, it would be more broad. But Montreal, Toronto is still king. at Pittsburgh in there because of Sidney Crosby and stuff. But uh, the... The one neighbor I had was a Bruins fan, and for whatever reason, I started off being a Bruins fan, and followed them quite, you know, closely for years. Uh, so it was kind of fun, you know, my friends, you know, wanted to be a Leaf fan, wanted to be a, you know, a Montreal fan, and just kind of go through that. So that kind of got me into hockey. I remember when Ottawa got into the league, and I had family in Ottawa, so it was such a natural kind of thing, like, oh gosh, new team, you know, every time. I don't know if you ever experienced this because it's almost old hat now. We'll see with, I don't know what you felt about Vegas. We'll see how people feel about Seattle. But it's almost like, hey, new kid on the block. It's kind of fun to watch them because you have no hatred yet, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually it'll happen. So I remember watching that very first game, uh, well, the first regular season game when, when they beat Montreal. 
and the the upset that was. So I always kind of adopted them. And then when I moved here after graduating, so that we're talking 2000, um, and, and I'd been watching them and always followed them in the playoffs and that sort of thing before that. But uh, when I moved here, I, I kind of have a home team clause pretty much. I kind of admit that. I don't know if I'd keep it or not going forward, but probably it'd be tough not to. I just love cheering for the home team. So I've been kind of a quasi, like, Sens-interested fan before 2000. But then when I moved here, it was all hardcore. Solid. And I know you mentioned that you're from New Brunswick, and my co-host, Tim Jensey, is also a fellow Maritimer as well. Yep. Born in Halifax. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you mentioned that everybody on the East Coast either be a Leafs or a Habs fan. In that part of the world now, and you mentioned about Sidney Crosby, do you feel that Colorado is getting more of a following, given that Nathan McKinnon is also from the East Coast? Well, you might want to ask the the Halifax expert, but I imagine so down in that area. Yeah, they definitely followed their native sons. I remember when I was there, I forget who the big player on the block was uh, when I was last there in 2000, 2001, but... Uh, you were starting to see a lot more Islanders fans as well. And then you have the Bruins fans because there's a strong connection between Halifax and Boston. Uh, then you had your Habs fans, your Leafs fans. And then, yeah, you got a whole bunch of Penguins fans uh, once Sidney Crosby came up. So we're not going to – now quickly we're going to move away from talking about third-line plug, and we're actually going to talk a little bit about your podcast, The Sens Call-Ups. Now currently, as of this recording, you guys – or in your ninth season, you've already done nine episodes so far, and I know it's been a little bit difficult getting together because of the COVID-19 pandemic. What has that been like for you guys now, nine seasons in? Is that still a feeling of like, holy crap, we cannot believe that we're almost at season 10? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, for obviously, I don't expect you know your listeners and followers to know much about Sen's call-ups. How we all started was there was a podcast called Ascends Underground years ago. They were Ascends podcast for seven seasons, I believe, back before podcasts were cool. Like, you know, now it's there's an app on your phone and, it's, and there's all kinds of options. They were still around back then, but it was a little bit more manual to kind of listen to them. So those were three people. Their approach to Ascends podcasting was kind of not reporting not breaking down the games although there's always a bit of that the approach was hey we're just three people sitting down for a beer talking about sense that was it like that that was the premise we weren't trying to be tsn they weren't trying to be you know reporters and that kind of thing they just were just three guys talking about hockey so when they stopped we i was a listener uh, Pan and Cardinal were both listeners, and we kind of had met and, and were aware of each other from kind of podcast get-together events that happened later. And it was just kind of organic. We I kind of reached out to them because we were all guests at one point on the, on the Sense Underground and said, do you want to try to keep something going? And, and that's kind of how it started. And it, what's funny is when we started, it was the season that the lockout happened. So here you go. You're all excited to start a podcast, and it's uh, NHL lockout. Somehow, I think we churned out like six or seven episodes before there was any hockey. <laughs> but yeah, we and of course, you look at our early seasons. We had all kinds of episodes, and then now lately, it's churning out one or two a month. That is pretty good. 
so it, it's uh, it, it is amazing. And when we say seasons, like we mean like a full NHL season. So it's kind of crazy that we just finished nine. So time does fly. Yeah, it's the exact same way with us. Uh, we do our seasons exactly the same way that you guys do by the NHL season. I think for myself, and I've, I like I've been I've been excuse me I've been a listener since probably season four, give or take season five. And the one thing I really appreciate about you guys is that yes, it's absolutely it's just three friends getting together talking about hockey. But one thing I've always found really interesting is that the chemistry always seems to be there. Was that something that you guys? ever thought about or was that just something that organically it came about as you went doing a podcast? Uh, I think we got lucky. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm so kind of used to it. Uh, I, I sometimes wonder if we have chemistry or not, <laughs> but, but yeah, I guess, you know, we, we received some positive feedback and at the end of the day, it's, it's just an excuse for us to talk about hockey and we'll clip, flip on record and, and if people enjoy it, then that's awesome. If you listen to our first season, we were trying over Skype and trying to make it as easy as we could. And I was still learning. Cause, so I kind of handle the audio engineering aspect of it, you know, and I'm kind of self-taught and, and made all sorts of mistakes along the way. But it's certainly when you have like what we're doing with the visual, it helps. But uh, when we're in person, it's definitely so much easier. Uh, so the chemistry took time. It took time to kind of understand each other's cadence, the way we're talking. I'm sure both of you have, have run into that too. You, you get used to how each other, uh, the way you want to interject and the way you want to talk. So every time you bring someone new, like myself, on, you know, it, it introduces a new dynamic, right? And it takes you a while to adjust to that. But that's, I think it was just was organic. Yeah, but there's also been a real sense of real fun and enjoyment that I hear when you guys do the last two seasons. And I know it's been really, like I said, it's been difficult with the pandemic getting together. Do you find for yourself that even though it is such a terrible time with COVID-19, but do you find it's harder doing it over zoom than it is in person? Harder. Yes. But like I said, we suffered through no video audio recordings several times whether it was early season or like I work on a job that required a lot of travel so a lot of time I'd be Skyping in from hotels with <laughs> who knows how good the Wi-Fi is well we've and, done and that you, too you miss the uh, you miss the video the, uh, the visual cues right but you that's where you get really used to patterns and cadences so let's move into talking about the Ottawa Senators second half recap now the Ottawa Senators' second half can really be summed up in three words. Night and day. That first half, I mean, what can you really say? I mean, really, the defense was slow and effective. Goaltending couldn't stop a beach ball coming out. And overall, the older acquisitions Pierre Doran brought in just didn't pan out at all. And it's amazing that the team did a complete 180 heading into the second half. Their defense looked way more competent. Goaltending was really solid with Philip Gustafson looking like the real deal with a 933 save percentage. And their offense was clicking with their top six solidifying by the end of the year as they finished the season as the hottest team in the league. Overall, what was your mindset for the team heading into the second half? And could you have imagined this turnaround that they did? So, no, I could not have imagined it. I remember the first game in the season and what an amazing start that was to beat the Leafs. Even game two against the Leafs where we lost, it still felt good. But when they went on that Western trip and just lost every game, and like you said, could not get a save, 
it, 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 uh, it was disheartening. And then they got back, and I don't recall, you know, I think the, so that was kind of like the first quarter, and the second quarter is kind of a blur. And it was still bad, obviously. And uh, you, you summed it up perfectly. So my demeanor during that first half started off with optimism, kind of got into complacency. Almost like, oh, this is a chore. This yeah. is not fun. You know, but the, yeah, absolutely. The second half, and I don't remember exactly when it started, but certainly you brought out a few good points when they start, stopped playing the old guys, started playing more youth. We started getting some goaltending, started seeing some better team defense. Suddenly, even the losing games were good to watch. And, of course, the you could start to see the optimism. And, wow, the last quarter of the season was just very impressive, right? So it's uh, it's a great way to end it. it uh, you know, we would be in a playoff position. It wasn't for that Western road trip at the beginning. We're, what, what, we're six points out or something like that? Well, it remains to be seen, but approximately six points out, let's say. Mm. And honestly, it's funny that the season ended as it started with a well-fought win against the Leafs. So for what was definitely going to be a rebuilding season in a weird year for a team that hadn't played a hockey game in almost a year with only seven days of training camp. So I'm honestly all right. Yeah, I can't really add anything to that. So let's talk a little bit about the Sens RFAs because there's a couple of guys heading into this offseason that are going to be RFAs and there's a lot of chatter about contracts heading their way. So let's start off with Brady to Chuck. Now coming into the COVID-reduced 2021 season, many fans were looking forward to seeing the team hit the edge for the first time since March of 2020, but also... It came. We came into the season knowing that Brady Chuck was going to be an RFA at season's end. The Senators' play in the first half, again, it looked like such a cause for concern in regards to Brady potentially not wanting to stay with the team, as we saw on that Western road trip where Brady's just frustration boiled over against the Canucks. And the team's turnaround in the second half really put those worries to rest as it looks like the rebuild is now heading towards a breakthrough in 21-22. In regards to the team's turnaround, Canuck, how much do you think that has affected the upcoming negotiations in a positive way? Well, it's certainly got to help, right? It's, uh, I think, I think the negotiations going on with the Kachuk camp and the Senators, I know as fans, we were wondering when they're going to do it, when they're going to do it, why are they waiting, why are they waiting? I think it was established very early on that they're going to wait till the end of the season. And, and let's be honest, guys, like if you're the agent, and by the way, I don't think the agent for, for Brady is a friend of the Senators at all, uh, but that doesn't matter. But just putting that out there, I forget, he's had other players that he's worked with, and you know, it's going to be a challenge. It's, it's not a, not going to be the, the easiest of agents, but where is it going with that? So it was kind of already established they're going to wait and see. And, you know, if you're Brady... He kind of had to do that, and he is an RFA. He's going to be back, so we, we need to stop fear-mongering that he's not going to be back next season. He will be back unless he chooses to walk away from his contract and r- ruin his potential career. So the, he's not going to do that. So he'll be back. It's just really a question of what the deal's going to be. You know what? I, I He deserves the money he's going to get. So he's obviously probably one of our marquee players, and he probably deserves a marquee salary. I don't get the impression, like we did with Eric Carlson, that he 
owner has placed a cap on this. It probably has, but I don't get that impression. <laughs> I think we're going to see a bridge deal. Uh, that's what his brother did in Calgary. And to be fair, I think we're going to see a lot of bridge deals uh, just because of the way the cap system is. And I think, I think, well, we know our owner is, and we, as much as we want to see eight-year contract, and I do, I want to see an eight-year contract for Brady Kachuk. I don't think Brady's going to commit to that, and, and why should he? Uh, you know, like, you know, he, he wants to keep all his options open too. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm certainly hoping for like an eight-by-eight eight or something like that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, like a three-year bridge deal or something like that too. But there's also another train of thought regarding the negotiations, and you touched on it with you think there's going to be a bridge deal. Say the Sens give him an 8-over-8 eight eight contract, is the sweetener going to be that Brady becomes the new captain? Well, they're definitely going to throw that as a sweetener, yeah. right? you, you got to. And, and realistically, he is a leader on the team, so it, slapping the C on there is, is just affirming what we all see, right? Oh, that's a pun intended there. Uh, I mean, who else could it be? It could be Thomas Shabbat, really. Those are your choices. And, yeah, I mean, those two kind of drive the team from different angles. Uh, I think if you think of your quintessential hockey captain-type behavior, I think Brady fills that. Thomas Shabbat, clearly a dominant force on the ice and clearly leads the team in the direction and the, the flow of the game. But, but he's more of a talent player, I think. But whereas Brady is that, whatever you want to call it, that, He's just going to pull someone up and, and drag them into battle type personality. Yeah, and like the only other guy I could even remotely think of, and I discount this instantly as I say, is Connor Brown. Because right. he's kind of got all of those tools <coughs> that you want a player who plays the ice the right way in every zone and kind of has, he does seem to have that kind of gumption type leadership as well, but not to the same degree as Brady Kachuk. And what was the message we saw in the media just this past week? It was something like they expect to name the captain hopefully sometime next season? Yeah, it was that so, uh, uh, Pierre Dorian, Melnick, and DJ Smith are going to get together to discuss the captain. And it was like, oh, that's great. Although I don't know what's going on with Melnick, him in his, you know, that super yacht, but that's not the point. Because, God. <laughs> no call. I, I really don't. Bad relations with captains there. Wow. Yeah. So sticking with the fans looking forward to heading, heading into this season, one guy that was pegged as a guy to watch was Drake Batherson, who entered his first full NHL season in 2021. Batherson, truthfully, was a guy that I wasn't always a true believer in whenever I saw him in the past. But after how he played once he returned from injury last year, I jumped right on the bath wagon and he had a really good season, 17 goals, 17 assists with 34 points in 56 games. And the guy looked fantastic with Brady and Josh Norris. The one comparison, and I don't, and I know you're a longtime fan, so I think you might recognize this. To me, he just looks like a younger Alexi Yashin out there. And I've, I said this on the podcast, if you ISO can't Yashin and Batherson, you really couldn't tell those two apart. Other than the fact that I think Yashin is much more offensively gifted than Batherson but that's up for debate, honestly. So heading into this offseason, Drake is another guy who, like Brady, is a core piece looking for his first real contract. Giving him a long-term extension, it could be a risky endeavor just because he only has the first one full season under his belt. Overall, when it comes to Batherson, do you feel how he played this season is enough to get him that long-term extension? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think so. I think Drake has paid his dues in the minors, and we certainly saw a, a great season from him this year. I mean, yes, there's a, there's a risk to every signing. I mean, you could sign Brady Kachuk and he gets injured the first three games or something like that, like just something fluky, right? Take a look at the goalies this year. <laughs> uh, so, no, I, I think what we see in Drake, uh, it, it doesn't appear like a flash in the pan. It, it seems like he's come about it the right way, and he certainly doesn't seem to be a, like just a one-trick pony. Like He's not just speed. Like Remember Formanton? clearly fast but we're always worried about you know the puck handling and that sort of thing and, and the, the finish so yeah I, I think he has earned uh, a long-term extension and i hope he gets it i honestly would like to see yeah. it too but i honestly wonder if again like brady he might even do a bridge deal i well, i do i think he will i think they, that's what we're gonna see a lot of yeah especially because batherson took a like in both the by the eye test, traditional points, and by the advanced statistics as well, Drake Batherson took a massive step forward this year. I think for his camp, the bridge deal probably makes the most sense, especially if you think he's, he thinks he's going to take a bigger one next year. With the amount of player movements Pierre Dorian did during the offseason, one guy that caught some people's attention was luring defenseman Artem Zub away from the KHL. Zub was a player nobody really knew anything about when he came over from the KHL. So fan expectations were pretty non-existent on the guy. But once Zoo finally cracked the roster after the first 10 games, I thought he looked really good on the Sens' back end, resulting in him receiving his $5 million over two contract. Overall, like, what were your thoughts on Zoo's first season in Ottawa? And I'd like to get your thoughts on the contract extension he just got. I'm not going to impress you with this answer because, uh, well, I mean, I saw all the social media funness over Zub and it, it just on Twitter especially everybody loved talking about Zub uh, so that's where I noticed him more was just people talking about Zub did I notice him on the ice I wasn't really paying attention not so much but I think that's a good thing I think that's because I didn't notice him and he just seemed to be fitting in really well that, that that's what I want I want a defenseman that's doing his job anytime he did come up it was usually involved with like a, an assist on a, on a goal or something like that and that's been my only impression of it. So do I think it was, I, I think it was a great signing. Uh, clearly he fits in. He seems to be very well liked. Uh, and that's why I say apologies. Like I was not examining his play. I think my attention must've been on, on other people, but I'm kind of glad that that worked out because you usually don't see that, right? You bring someone in for another league and usually they don't stick around or you, you realize why they aren't in the NHL. And this one worked out quite well. Well, and I know Artem Zub's not getting in the lineup early on. I know that caused quite some concern among Sens fans. And honestly, Artem Zub is one of these guys, and I think Mark Mathot put it best, that he's a chiller. or a, I, I believe it's either chiller or cooler, where he just, whoever he puts him with, it calms him down, it just solidifies that defense partner, whether it was Thomas Shabbat or whether it was Eric Branstrom. And I really liked the Artem Zub deal. I think giving him a two-year deal was perfect because you see the Jake Sanderson's, the JBD's, guys are coming up up the pipeline is going to push him up. So he, if they have to move on from him, that's a really good one. Now, sticking with the defense, uh, the waiver pickup of Victor Mete came as a bit of a surprise as he had been seen as at one time as being a top four defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens. The addition of Mete really did work out for Ottawa, recording one goal, one assist in 14 games as he helped improve the blue line. 
That being said, though, Mete's spot with the Sens moving forward could be an interesting one with guys like, and I mentioned Jake Sanderson in the pipeline coming up. Regarding Victor Mete, is it going to be a matter of how or a matter of if he fits in the blue line going forward? What a surprise he was. And it seemed like he just kept getting better and better. I didn't notice him so much at first, but the last couple of games, man, he was he was flying. The, the kind of plays he was doing was what I was expecting of an Eric Brandstrom. And uh, I, I, he maybe even leapfrogged him uh, in terms of play and having a roster spot. So I, I don't know why Montreal passed on them. Maybe just the classic he needed to change the scenery type deal, but very impressive. And uh, hopefully he can stick around because we're, we're going to need lots of, lots of depth, right? Yeah. And... For free money, it's incredible. Like, we did not have to give up any assets, no draft picks, nothing for that. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, can you really trust a GM that looked at Miguel Sergeyev and says, you know what? No, nah, we don't need you. We'll trade you to Tampa Bay. Or draft a Kokanemi instead of Kachuk? Yeah. Kachuk, yeah, Kachuk or Philip Sedina. So we're going to move away from the Sens RFAs for a second and talk about the Sens Young Guns. Now, one of the things I always look forward to every season is keeping an eye on the rookie scoring race. And 2021 was a really fascinating one as Kirill Kaprizov really came out of nowhere and got a lot of attention for his play. And there was also the debate whether he should be eligible for the Calder, given that he was 24, he did play a couple of years in the KHL. With that being said, the one guy who was a complete dark horse for the Calder this season was Josh Norris. And Norris was somebody that I know Sens Twitter pumped him up for quite a bit last season. And I, well, I didn't watch any of the Belleville Sens games last year. I did see some of the clips and I thought, this kid's really good. And we don't know how he's going to translate. Can it translate to the NHL? And he came as a pleasant surprise. 17 goals, 18 assists for 35 points, and became Ottawa's 1C in the process alongside Drake and Brady. What was your thoughts on Norris's play in the second half? And for yourself, is he the biggest surprise on the Sens this season? I don't know if he's the biggest surprise, but he certainly was a positive. He was a positive surprise. I, I don't even know if I say that and is surprise the right word because he he was one of those players putting in his dues, seemed to be coming into the NHL the right way, like dominating. It seemed like he was dominating in, in uh, Belleville. Uh, so I guess the surprise there is just the transition worked like, wow, you know, a lot of times we rush these players to the NHL and sometimes it stalls them. Sometimes it doesn't, but this just seemed to, to evolve into, he could, he could be the number one center, maybe if not a, if not one, it's certainly a two C. So that was definitely a, a very positive thing to see. And, uh, he certainly, I see him as a core going forward. Well, I know that he leapfrogged a lot of guys on the depth chart in center. And I think for myself why he was a bit of a surprise heading into the big club is because we saw how Eric, a guy like Eric Branstrom played where he, you know, he guy dominated in the A, came up to the NHL. He looked really shaky. His confidence didn't seem to be there. So I was kind of on the fence about Norris thinking that might be the same way. Obviously, difference, Norris is a forward, Branstrom's a defenseman. So... We're going to talk about another rookie on the Sens, Tim Stutzla. And coming into the season, there was no no way there was 
this kid was the only person that was getting all the spotlight because who honestly was more that's what i wanted to see there you go but yeah tim stutzla i mean the expectations were so high on him coming into ottawa following his performance in the world juniors and for myself this kid exceeded expectations 12 goals 17 for 29 points in 53 games and what i really loved about tim stutzla is that he just looks like he could be the next dynamic elite scoring winger but we haven't had since marin hosa to be quite honest and while no disrespect to Danny Heatley you know 1507 and all that but Hosa could just go end to end like nobody and and I see the same way with Stutzla and that's like the big comparison for me is Marin Hosa with that being said like what are your thoughts on his second half and what are the expectations going to be for him in next season well before I get to the second half I mean the fact that his first goal was against the Toronto Maple Leafs I mean he <laughs> What, what more could you ask for? Honest answer, how many times did you watch that goal? Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I was watching a lot when it came out. <laughs> that thing was a thing of beauty. That, that really was. Uh, yeah, obviously he declined a little bit, and, but not in a way that bothered me. Uh, and then second half turned it around and seemed to be more consistent. I, I think uh, what happened is, of course... We saw how he played at the World Juniors and just dominated. Men, men among boys, like, even though he's a boy himself, right? Just clearly stood out. And then when he got to the NHL, he's able to do some of that. Then teams realized, okay, you got to watch this guy, right? So he had to struggle through that, but he... And he probably will have more struggles. So the, what's really good in that second half is that he pushed through. And, and no, he didn't have elite numbers, but my expectations for him were never to be like that yet. Just to be, my expectations and my hopes for him were to be like a, a great player for this team and to show signs of getting better. And I think he did. So for next year, I, I don't want to put expectations on him. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> because mm-hmm. he seems to be heading the right way. Well, I think the proof's kind of in the pudding too, because the guy was in the Calder race for most of the season. If Kirill Kasparov wasn't in it, then uh, sorry, Kirill Kaprizov wasn't in it, then I think either him or Norris gets the Calder this year. Uh, Rookie of the month in February, and uh, compared to his draft contemporary uh, Alexis Lafreniere, it's night and day. I was going to say, can you imagine if we had drafted Lafreniere with the struggles he had in New York? God, the Ottawa's media would have just tore him apart i even thought of hey do we try trade what was it our third and fifth pick for number one i, I know people were and clearly that was not the right thing to do uh, and i know many people did want to do that but i was cons- considering it because it's lafreniere you have to at least think about it right yeah what if lafreniere turns into dive too <sighs> yeah i don't think he will I don't think so, but you never know, right? I mean, look at all the number one picks that haven't turned out in the last 20 years. So going back to do defenseman for a moment here, one guy who had a bit of a tougher road to make the big club this season was Eric Branstrom. And Branstrom was a guy who, in my personal opinion, he wasn't exactly set up to succeed this season. And, you know, it he wasn't playing early on, given guys like Branstrom was clogging up the spot, DJ Smith was not wanting to put him on his preferred side of his right defense. 
And it just, he always seemingly always had strikes against him whenever he was on the ice. Like, he would make a mistake, he got stapled to the bench. With the season-ending injury to Shabbat, Eric was a guy who really stepped up in a big, bad way, playing huge minutes, and actually looked really good doing it. Overall, how did you feel about Branstrom in the second half, and how and where do you see Ottawa using him next season? The Eric Branstrom story was annoying to me. Uh, I really wanted to see him get played more. I still don't know what he is. Uh, He seems to be a fast, puck-moving defenseman who... When I saw him early on in the season, when he actually got a game or two, I liked what I saw, but, oh no, he made a defensive mistake, and DJ Smith just took him right out of the lineup and put uh, you know other plugs in there, which I think Pierre Dorian eventually had to trade away. Uh, so I, I don't know what to think on Eric Brandstrom. Obviously, he, he's the piece we got from the Carlson trade, right? No, Mark Stone. Mark Stone, sorry. Yes, that's right. Correct. Carlson was the first round pick. A big thing. Um, so, yeah. It, I don't know if it's my fandom. Remember when we traded Jason Spezza and he, he kind of wanted those assets to work out, but man, they just they just really didn't one by one. Uh, and uh, so maybe, maybe that's going on in my head with Eric Brandstrom and, and because the fact we gave up Mark Stone for this asset, he wanted and he seemed like a decent one. Uh, I'm not worried about him. I'd just like to see him get more time. Uh, just keep playing him and figure out what he is. I don't feel like we gave him enough yet. Because especially these last few games, uh, Eric Brandstrom has been absolutely dynamite. Uh, three assists in one game, absolutely crushing it on the fancy stats, and his gap work looks way, way better. And Brandstrom in his own right could be a pretty good one-two tweener. I just see a lot of puck-moving defensemen, don't I? Yeah. Which is always not a bad thing, but you need to have those guys like, say, a Mark Mathot or Dylan DeMello to kind of balance those guys out. So one thing we haven't really talked about here in the second half recap is the Sens goaltending. So we're going to go and talk a little bit about the goaltending, and we're going to start off with Matt Murray. And as I said earlier, Peridori made a number of player movements in the offseason, and one that really caught people's eye was the trade with the Pittsburgh Penguins sending Matt Murray to Ottawa. Murray's arrival in Ottawa was a big deal because he was coming over with a proven record. He had won two Stanley Cups. Yeah, we're kind of the reason for one of those anyway, but that's not the point. And Murray's play in the first half was really called into question whether he really was the guy going forward. And I don't really need to go into his stats because it was just hot garbage. Like, everything in front of him was coming in. And... The one thing I really liked about him in the second half is that he did greatly improve, and I often wonder how much of that was him getting his confidence back or the young goalies coming up that lit a fire under him. Now, with that being said, was his play in the second half enough to keep his starting job next season? Huh. No, it really wasn't. Uh, I, I, there's no guarantees. Uh, but having said that, He's going to get it. He's going to get a leash. And uh, he'll probably be given a lot of rope again. And we have to because he, he needs, he's been brought on to be the number one guy. Uh, the first half of this past season, like, come on. Like, that was just as terrible as it can get. And Hog, or sorry, uh, yeah, Hogberg, too. Just they couldn't stop anything. And, and I'm sorry, Matt Murray, but this is not good enough. 
And so, no, you're, you're not automatically guaranteed uh, a spot, but you're probably going to be given it, and it's probably yours to lose still, but, y- y- you know, the leash is probably not going to be quite as long as it was this past season because we have other options that we can turn to. So I, I think, having said that, you know, I, I sound very negative there, but really uh, we need Matt Murray to be Matt Murray, the, the real the better version that we did see glimpses of. Uh, Ottawa needs that. Uh, I don't think we can go into five years of unparalleled success without, you know, some top-tier goaltending. So uh, here's hoping he does turn it around. Hopefully Matt Murray turns it around, but uh, Margaret Sogbert definitely played himself out of Ottawa this year. Yep. I think an interesting... So that does open the spot for two new guys, Gustafson and Decor. Well, speaking about Goose and Decord, and I had a thought here coming into this episode, is for next season, do you think that the Sens might go with a goalie tandem the way that Matt Murray had in Pittsburgh with Marc-Andre Fleury, either with Goose or Joey Decord? Oh, Matt. Uh, I guess we've got to see what kind of Matt Murray we get next season. Uh, here's hoping that uh, this was the anomaly and we get something a little bit normal. Because even, even a goalie that has, you know, that's not good puts up better numbers than Matt Murray did this first half of the season, right? Like, it just, it didn't even make sense. Like, it didn't look like you were an NHL goalie. It was almost that bad, right? Um, yeah. Now, I don't know if it's him getting used to the systems the Senators are doing and the fact that the Senators were not playing good team defense. Uh, but you gotta, sometimes a goalie's just got to make a save, and it just wasn't happening. Yeah, I think I'm probably one of the minority people, sorry, people in the minority that is uh, not worried at all about Gustafsson or Decord being taken in the expansion draft because goalies are magic beans. So I, that's a battle that I, I'm excited to watch is uh, Goose versus Decord with Mandalese and Sogard waiting in the wings. There's better goalie prospects out there for Seattle to take. Uh, so we probably are overvaluing what we think Seattle's going to pick. They only get to take one player. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect they'd probably take Chris Tierney as the best of a bat. Not great bunch. So one of the huge bright spots in the second half, among others, as I, as we're talking about was the improvement in goal, especially with the play of Philip Gustafson and Joey Decord to start this season. There was much chatter over Decord being the guy as Philip Gustafson took a real back seat. However, as the season came to a close, it became obvious that Gustafson was the guy with the great stats that he put up. With that being said, I would love to get your thoughts on both of their second halves, and is it currently a lock that Goose will be on the big club next season? Well, I don't think anything is a lock anymore because we got Matt Murray under contract, and we just extended uh, Forsberg, right? Yeah. So... It's conceivable on opening night, there's your one and two. But I think we will see both of them at some point. Uh, I mean, Sens fans only have to look at this year as proof that anything can happen, <laughs> especially in the goalie department. Uh, so between Gustafson and Decord, I, I liked both of them. When we finally got to them, they seemed to be like, oh, these guys are real goaltenders. And it's I feel really bad that... Uh, Decor got injured because at one point there it seemed like he was maybe the guy Gustafson you know good but maybe the guy 
maybe Joey's the one you go with. But uh, Joey got injured, and uh, and then Gustafson was the one that kind of rode out near the end and certainly showed that he, he could belong, uh, certainly as a backup for sure. So, yeah, it, it brings up interesting conversation. I, I, I see we got a future topic here where we talk about expansion draft and who to protect because that's where it, gets, where it gets interesting, right? Yeah. The only thing I ever worry about, Gustafson, is uh, I still remember that first game where he came in a bit cold and takes off his blocker hand and just covered in blood. It's like, ugh. And he's like, yeah, it does that sometimes. <laughs> Never to be able to get over that. I missed that one. I got to go look that up. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Canuck, you already mentioned it. And we'll close out the 2021 second half recap by talking about the Seattle expansion. So, Coming into that expansion draft in July, the Senators do have a couple of options on who they can leave unprotected with the said list has been ever-changing throughout the season, depending on who you ask, either on Twitter or in person. Now, I know you have talked about this a little bit on the Suns call, but for those who may not have heard that, if you were Pierre Doran, who would you leave unprotected in the upcoming expansion draft? Yeah, it- it's a fun exercise. If you go to capfriendly.com, they actually have a section where you can you know, flip down to Ottawa Centers and you can pick them and it'll show you all the contracts. It'll show you which ones are exempt. Like, for example, you're thinking, oh, well, I want to protect Josh Norris and Tim Stutz. No, 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 these are all exempt. It, Ottawa is in a fantastic position with this entry draft and they got to think that Pierre Dorian architected things this way uh, when they knew things were, quite frankly, going to crap two years ago traded away Carlson and Stone and those guys, right? So they, they were all thinking Seattle expansion draft. You, you got to know it, right? So when you when you do this, you realize that you actually have flexibility. It's the first time you're kind of, like, it's not obvious. So let's start with goaltending. That's the easy one. I leave Matt very exposed. I do. I don't think he's going to get selected, and if he does, well, I, I have no, I'm not not worried. Uh, in fact, I think you know, I kind of feel relieved because it's such a big contract. We know how our owner is about big contracts. I think, though, that Matt Murray will be the one that's protected because Pierre Dorian's and the optics of doing it are going to look bad. So uh, I expect to see Matt Murray protected, although I would not do it. Uh, I would protect one of Philip Gustafson or Joey Ducord neither of whom I imagine is Seattle's going to pick, but I, if I had to pick between the one of the two, you know, when we recorded it with the Sens call-ups, we were flipping coins, and I think we all said Joey Decord. Uh, I wouldn't say that now because the fact that he got injured and we saw Gustafson come in and be competent, I would protect him because I just don't see, like, I just don't see someone picking Joey Decord, and if they do, like, you're going to lose somebody, so... Um, before I move on to other positions, what do you guys think about the goalie? Honestly, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I I would leave Matt Murray unprotected, and I totally agree. I don't think they're going to take Goose or Decord in the expansion draft, as I do think that there is better goalie options out there. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I've heard of maybe a Braden Holtby in Vancouver. I've heard about that, and I've heard about some other goalies. So... Yeah, I would be in the same boat. I, I would leave Matt and Marie unprotected. And yeah, if they take him, okay. And then you've got five years of a goalie that may or may not be your number one guy in the first year. They might take Forsberg if you need a journeyman. Yeah. Well, 
it's just kind of amazing how, well, I think Matt Murphy, as you said, his contract is uh, expansion-proof, basically. So it's like looking at this list, it's maybe maybe you see if they take Zaitsev. So when I get to defense, uh, you have to pick two. So the obvious one is Thomas Shabbat. Not even, I mean, we all understand. He's he's your one. And you have one more pick unless you do the other formula where you can pick eight skaters, but you don't need to with the Sens, I don't think. Uh, and then it's like, who... So there's really only two options. It's Zaitsev or Victor Mete. And who would have thought you'd be protecting that guy, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Zaitsev. Just because he was the guy I thought was going to be picked in this expansion draft uh, back when we got him. He's probably a little bit overpaid. But, you know, those kind of guys don't grow on trees. We got a lot of fast puck-moving defensemen, and we just need a seasoned defenseman, which he seems to be. And, yeah, you just I think you just protect him. Uh, he, he seems to be fitting in here okay. Yeah, because I guess they can leave Josh Brown exposed, and they meet the requirement. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, Josh Brown, that's right. I, I think Victor Mete counts, too, because he's an RFA. Uh, although right. he, he's talking about getting signed here, too. So who knows? Like, I, I expect Pierre Doran to do some of these sort of handshake <laughs> deals, right, where the signings happen after the expansion, right? Mm. Uh, we'll see. Well, it's what the Leafs did the last time round, right? Yeah. Now, now forwards get interesting, and that's where you get some creativity. Uh, so uh, the, my protected forwards, and I just did this exercise tonight before we started, is I protected Colin White, which is probably a topic of conversation, uh, Connor Brown. So Connor Brown I thought was easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan DeZingle I thought was easy. Nick Paul, I thought was fairly easy. Brady Kachuk is the easiest of them all. <laughs> so now we're and Drake Batherson. So Drake Batherson, uh, Nick Paul, Brady Kachuk, Ryan Dezingle. I think I don't think we're probably having too many arguments here. Now we're getting into the ancillary. I'm leaving Dadanov exposed. I don't know why, but I am. Uh, I, I'm not big on Dadanov. He's he's. I don't see him as core. I see him as a, a, a filler. He's been fine, but. I don't think he's five million dollars fine. Uh, I think he played on with strong teammates down in Florida and got overvalued. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I think it was pretty cool when we signed him. And I looked at his points and I didn't know anything about him. But like, oh wow, we got a big name UFA. That was kind of cool. But uh, I'm not impressed with him. Like he's a good player. He's a he's a plug. But is he a five million dollar plug? So I don't mind leaving exposed. Colin White was another name. I protected him. Uh, and I could totally understand why you wouldn't. I just I'm gonna give Colin White the what is it the Mike Hoffman approach. Remember Mike Hoffman at 24? Uh, he was not, or at least I can't remember the years. There's certainly some years in his early 20s where I was not. We were just not impressed with him. And all of a sudden the light switch went off, and all of a sudden he lit it up. So I still think there's some upside there with Colin White, even though he hasn't delivered. Then he's overpaid, but. Uh, might as well just... He's kind of like the free pick, I think, in this. Mm-hmm. I thought I actually put Austin Watson on this list. Really? Yeah, just because he's the kind of guy that could get picked up. He's a million and a half. He is a role player, 
you need role players? I don't know. I just, you know, there's a, you know, there's a reason we signed him as a UFA, and I think exposing him would probably, I would see Seattle picking up that guy. It's so, tough because where does he fit? Because he's a PK role guy, and uh, I think like Pinto, Connor Brown, uh, Formanton are just straight better. Yes, and Nick Paul too. Like those are just four penalty killers, just better than him, straight up. One thing I do appreciate about him is that time he took the puck to the neck and he came right back. Like, I, I love that sort of thing. But it's like, I don't know where he fits as a role player. He's more of a tough role player. Like, he's kind of like uh, Parker Kelly, I think, was going to be. Maybe like that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, and the reason why, like, Austin <laughs> Watson is not someone you would normally kind of protect, but... You know, we need we need some extra players around. Uh, we don't know if all these young players that we feel like are going to we can see them filling those spots if they're just going to be quite ready yet. So, I, I don't mind. The noticeable ones I left exposed really is Dadanov. I left Chris Tierney exposed. Uh, maybe you pick Tierney over Watson, but I think Tierney. Here, here's here's my test: Is Tierney core? No. Probably not. So let's see how it'll happen. Or if that's what they want to do, you could say the same thing or Austin Watson though, couldn't you? Although I think I could see him being—he's like the Chris Neal, I guess, right? He's, he's that kind of player. I just see him maybe kind of sticking around and being a, a guy that comes in and out of the lineup. Hmm. Is that what you waste a pick uh, a protection pick on? Well, we got some freedom because all of our core people are protected basically easily. Yeah. Well, we have lots to spare. Logan Brown, I left off. I'm, I, I unfortunately, I think I'm done with Logan Brown. He, he seems to be cursed with injuries, and well, he just he got clearly, injured today. Yeah, In he Warhol. clearly does not have good favor with the staff of this team, the coaching staff, or something. So, and he's never had a chance to prove it. He's never been able to prove it in the minors. He keeps getting injured. So. I don't know. I'm done with the Logan Brown experience myself. Yeah. Do you think maybe Seattle takes a chance on Logan Brown? Maybe see if they can get something out of him in the big club? I don't think they will, but if they did, yay for us. <laughs> yeah. I think for my – sorry, Tim, if you don't mind. I think that for me, the one guy I definitely would leave unprotected is Colin White. And I think just because that's a big contract that you can't move if – you know, the Josh Norris's, the Shane Pentos, and whoever we have coming up the pipeline leapfrogs him in the depth chart. And do you really want a guy making 4.25 or 4.5 or whatever he's making right now on your fourth line, to be honest? Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it, tough to argue with that, right? And that's the, the funny thing is when we're filling out, you're putting these check boxes in this website to kind of do the mock uh who you gotta protect and you realize like oh well the the obvious ones are really easy now it's just like <laughs> what do i do uh you, you actually have some flexibility so this is really good for the senators that they can do that so obviously i'm not you know high on colin white but i still think he may have some upside there but you're right leaving it unprotected and getting rid of the the contract maybe helps us going down the road with some of these contracts that come out of bridge deals but at the same time, I think if I have a choice between Colin Wright and Chris Tierney, I want to move Seattle more to taking Chris Tierney over Colin White because Colin White is what people, A, think Chris Tierney is, A, 
good, responsible defenseman who has some offensive upside. Sorry, good, responsible defensive center with defensive with some scoring upside. Chris Tierney is not that. Well, guys, I guess that wraps up the 2021 Ottawa Senators second half recap, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got two games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Flames and the final Battle of Ontario for 2021 between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay guys let's start talking about the sens versus the flames this is a six to one flames victory sens goal was scored by josh norris flames goals scored by johnny goudreau miguel bachlin matthew dechuk michael stone dylan dubé and mark giordano shots were 36 20 for the flames now, usually this would be the time of the episode where I'd give a quick summary of how the game went and all that stuff. <laughs> this is only the only way we could really sum up this game for the Sens. Shit. He's already dead. <sighs> I blew it. So, the thing is, guys, I don't really have any notes on this game, so I'm going to let you two take the lead on this. What did you guys think of the Sens in this game? And any kind of notes you may have had in this game. Burn the fucking tape. <laughs> they lost to the Flames and they went down in Flames. Pretty much. I, I'm honestly a bit loath to find a bright spot in that game. It ended. Yeah. Because just Ottawa looked bad. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Like the second Ottawa does not do back to backs, and that was a back to back game. <sighs> was... Norris's goal was kind of cool. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I, I will say, in in defense of Victor Mete on the Johnny Goudreau goal, is that there's really not much he could have done on that because he played him perfectly. He did. He played him pretty well. It just happened that the puck went in. Honestly, it was amazing that he got back in the first place. The important thing is that the Sens did score one goal to preserve, which we'll talk about, I guess, next game, the uh, the, the un-shutout record. Which seems yeah, like which... such a weird flex, but it's so good that we actually have that record, <laughs> though. I wonder what the longest not-getting-shutout streak by a team is. That's a good question. I don't know. It'd be fun to debate who that would be. You'd probably just have to go back through the microfilm because if I had to guess, it's probably Gretzky, like a Gretzky Euler team. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison. I was going to say maybe the uh, the Mario Lemieux Penguins of the '90s, but or maybe even the Avalanche of the 2000s. Yeah, rare for an error, I guess. Very much so. So. Really, I only got two notes on this game, to be perfectly honest, guys. And I know that seems like so minstrel, but what what can we really say? I mean, I think Tim put it perfectly. Burn the tape. So the two, sorry, the two notes they have on this game, and one of them is about friend of the show, TSN analyst, Jamie McLennan. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed this during the broadcast, but Chris Cuthbert actually mentioned the two teams that Jamie McLennan never lost to 
during his NHL career. The Ottawa Senators and the Calgary Flames. I didn't catch that. Although I do remember uh, Jamie McLennan did go on a bit of a tangent about how he spent a lot of time on the bench because Kippersoft liked to play 70 games a season. And the other note I have is actually about Jacob Bernardocker, who had three shots in this game, and he actually did look noticeable out there. And the only comment I really got on this, and we don't usually do any grinds my gears or any of that stuff on this podcast, but what really grinds my gears, people who say Bernard Docker. It's not Bernard Docker, it's Bernard Docker. Isn't it Bernard Docker? That's how I've always pronounced it. It just sounds better. Bernard Docker sounds better. When you say Bernard Docker, it just sounds no, like... No, sorry, I mean, I think Bernard Docker is his preferred pronunciation. I, I know, but still, that just weirdly grinds so that my that's gears. that's the way it's pronounced. Still, that just... I don't know why that just <laughs> oddly grinds my gears, though, Tim. I mean, take it up with him. Well, if I ever meet JBD, maybe I might. You never know. Well, guys, I don't have any more notes on this game if you want to head off into the second and final game of the evening. No, let's do it. Leafs versus Senators. This is a 4-3 Ottawa Senators overtime victory. Leafs goals were scored by Jake Muzzin, John Tavares, and some guy whose parents can't learn to spell. Sens goals were scored by Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, Parker Kelly with his first NHL goal, and Josh Norris. Shots were 33-28 for the Leafs. A somewhat even game overall. Toronto opened the game on the attack as Ottawa were a bit slow getting their feet moving. As the game went on, Ottawa got their speed as they took a 3-1 lead until Tavares and Matthews tied the game at 3 before Josh Norris closed out the 2021 season for the Sens in overtime with the W. So there's a number of guys I want to talk about here. So let's start talking about Connor Brown. One goal on six shots. And I don't know how you guys felt about him in this game, but in my personal opinion, he was the best player for the Sens in this game. And I'm always kind of surprised about Connor Brown when I see the kind of speed he has, especially on that goal, where he literally just blew past that defenseman to create that chance. I mean, how livid are you if you're a Leafs fan and you see two former players score on you? Zaitsev and Brown. Oh, well, you know what? My oldest brother's a Leafs fan. I could have, should have just texted him and asked, but you know, yeah, it's kind of like when you see ex-Senators score against us. It's just like, uh, I like you as a player, but why? One thing that I actually thought was really interesting about this game is that, uh, DJ Smith really didn't bring out the line blender. You kind of had your defined lines with, uh, Mete Zaitsev, Branstrom, Zub, all sing Burner Doctor on the defense with, uh, the Chuck. Chuck Norris, Line Stutzel, Pinto, Pinto Brown, and Easton Artie Party, Paul Badenov, and Formented Logan Brown, Kelly. I thought like the lines as assembled looked good, and uh, Parker Kelly was rewarded with a goal on a, after he drew a penalty. And I really like in limited dice. I really liked uh, Parker Kelly. So regarding Connor Brown, Canuckley, how did you feel he played in this game? I I've already made my points about I thought he played really well. I thought he was the best player game. But what were your overall thoughts on the player in this game? No, I agree. He had a great game. It was so nice to see the second half season of Connor Brown because the first half it seemed like he couldn't score a breakaway no matter how many times he had them. <laughs> and it's got to be stats on that. Like, how many breakaways do you give a guy and he can't finish them? 
No, his his work ethic's great. It's always sweet to see, you know, that kind of ethic against the Leafs and being a former Leaf himself. You know, just double sweet there. So let's talk about the other former Leaf in this game, Nikita Zaitsev. One goal, one assist on two shots. You gotta love to see those shots go bar down top shelf when he rips them right from the line. Yeah, that was a that was a great shot. Zaitsev's one of those players. He's kind of he's not the same kind of player as Zoo, but I kind of put him in the, my mental category as I don't necessarily notice them on the ice, but in a good way. You know, there's the the dynamic forward like uh, Shabbat is, and and some of the other ones where you know they just dominate the play, and then they have their their steady, you know, just reliable defenseman with them, and kind of lump Zaitsev kind of in that kind of category, fairly or not. But yeah, that was, that was just a great shot. Yeah, like it was surprisingly perfectly placed, and I believe his other goal, I think last week came from pretty much the same spot and I think it was also bar down. I was going to say, it's so weird to see Zaitsev actually score in a net when there's an actual goalie there, but, you know, got to take him sometimes. Now, I did mention earlier in the opening, this was the game where Parker Kelly scored his first NHL goal in his first NHL game. I got to say, is that the single most embarrassing goal Freddie Anderson has ever let in in his career and the the big comparison for me when I watched that goal was when Carlson scored that goal against the Rangers in 2017 in the playoffs only difference was Henrik Lundqvist was in a really good spot Anderson I do I really don't know what Freddie Anderson was doing on that play I don't that was think that's Parker cool. Kelly's goal yeah yeah, what's incredible about it is the way he got knocked down and then got back up and got in that position. Just nice timing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I really appreciated that he was, he had the sense to kind of back himself into a position where he would guarantee himself to draw the penalty, took the fall, and then got back up and into the play. And that's that's smart hockey play. And the kid's already thinking like that. I think he's going to be a great uh third line, fourth line role player that's going to get the Sens power play time. And that's, that's a valuable, valuable skill. As for Freddie Anderson embarrassing goals, uh, there were a few really bad ones against Columbus uh, back in the playing series that uh, had Leaf fans screaming for his head. True. But I was going to say this one was just so egregiously bad. And even the Connor Brown goal where yeah, he made the first save, but then he pulled himself so far out of position where he's just like, oh, crap, where's the puck? Where's the puck? And Connor Brown just tapped it in. Yeah, not a good time to have a rusty goalie, all things considered. No, but you know what? Toronto's got a couple of decent ones heading into the playoffs. So, you know, that might be the final game Freddie Anderson plays as the Toronto Maple Leaf. So another guy we need to talk about, Brady Tuchuk. One assist and six shots. The one thing, and I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, is that one thing I really wish Brady would do more, especially during the Battle of Ontario games, is I would love to see him mix it up with those guys. Because honestly, for those who grew up watching the Sens Leafs rivalry of the early 2000s, like those games were just bloodbaths. And the Sens and Leafs games today really aren't like that. Yeah, it's competitive because the Leafs are so highly skilled offensively. But again, I wish that physicality would bring would 
be brought back more into there. And I think Brady would definitely bring that because I really loved seeing that moment between him and Nick Foligno when they had that little chat in front of the net. I'll let you, why don't you guys take it or lead here? <laughs> no, I was just not really sure what to say to that. Uh, I think it'll come with time as uh, both teams get better. Sort of thing, you know? Fair enough. Now, the one assist that Brady did get in this game was on the Josh Norris overtime winner, and Josh also had two shots. You know, and we talked about Freddie Anderson, who let in a really egregious goal on that one, but Mitch Marner, that was just such a brutal play to start off that overtime, and then Brady over to Norris, and the Sen season's finished. I love that. That was It was over so quick. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off for the Leafs, right? The camera angle, you could necessarily see how that puck battle played out until they showed the replays in a reverse angle but i guess uh, mitch meyer thought he was giving a good pass back to the defenseman who i forget and it was just a weak one that, that brady was able to pick right back up so not only was it a you know, okay it was so austin matthews lost the face off and I, I, don't, I don't was he tied up no he wasn't tied up because no. Brady got right by him so he just laid on the ice there and, and then mitch marner kind of did a Thought he was doing a smart, fast pass back to his defenseman, but it was really weak, and uh, the game was over. Well, what's really interesting is uh, Brady had it, like, it was face-up the whole way. Read Marner like a book. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's a pretty well-spent $11 million, but... <laughs> nine nine no. seconds, right? Nine yeah. seconds, the goal was? Nine seconds, do, and... Do, do you remember, I, th- uh, I think we got to go back two years now, it was like back-to-back overtime games where the Sens got scored on with like five or six seconds in and then we did it the next night even quicker. <laughs> I think was that against Montreal? I forget. I thought it, would get, I thought it was I against uh, San Jose when uh, Hoffman and Duchesne were together. Might have been that game. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember who did it to us but it, it, it's just awful, right? You, you get settled in you're like, alright, some three on three. Let's get... Oh, come on. I know. It's good That's when over before it even began. True. It's so good when we're on the winning end of that, but you know, it sucks when we're on the losing end. So the final guy I want to talk about here, Philip Gustafson. 30 saves, a point nine oh nine save percentage. And I've mentioned here in the podcast before that I really like how calm, cool, and collect he is in the net in high pressure situations, and he was the exact same way during the Leafs attack in that third period. I mean, I liked I liked what he did when he came in to fill for the the goalie graveyard or whatever it was that uh, happened in Ottawa. He, he he came in and he seemed to be playing quite well. So uh, good on him. It'd be, mm-hmm. I, I'm really interesting to see what interested to see what's going to happen next season. Uh, I, I, I think he'll be around. Yeah, I think we also have to credit Ottawa's team defense in this game because uh, they pushed Toronto into not not ideal scoring situations like sure Matthews Marner etc can bust in and get close to the net but there was a lot of stuff coming from the sides and I think despite the Leafs having a slight edge in shots I think Ottawa just got the better shots Ottawa was the better team against Toronto like we won the season series correct like quite well I think it was more than 50-50 Montreal was kind of 50-50 and no, I, I think we went 500. I think we went 500 against the Leafs, didn't we? Oh, were we? 
Calgary, yeah, Calgary, is, I think we went. Pretty damn embarrassing. Yeah, I think Calgary, we beat we we beat them. Montreal, we did well. Yeah, I think Toronto was like five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. I might I might have to look into that, but I think if I'm not top of my head, I think that was right. Yeah, and then we ate it against uh, Edmonton. Didn't win a single game. Winnipeg, I think we won two. Vancouver, we won a few, we won a few just because of the COVID Canucks. I think we beat yeah. uh, Winnipeg three times, didn't we? Oh, three times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cause remember they were the team that we thin. could never beat was Winnipeg. We couldn't beat Hellebuck. And then we did. Yeah. Yeah, where I was going with that is we seem to be built to play Toronto really well, which is weird. Uh, I guess we should be happy about that. But clearly, as you pointed out, we're not built to beat the Oilers right now. I think maybe the last half of the games were much better, of course, in that first road trip, but... It's quite interesting how it's not just Ottawa that's like that. There's certain teams out there that just play systems and play styles that bode really well against some teams and really bad against others. It's Mm -hmm. such a funny thing. It's funny because I think that at the beginning of the year, I think there was still a bit of skepticism about matchups. By the end of this year, I think everyone, especially especially the analytically minded people who are definitely more skeptical to get in with, were just like, yeah, matchups exist because we finally got to see just teams playing each other eight times. So you could actually infer what the matchup truly was. Picture this. Ottawa finally beats Toronto in a playoff series. I think that's a pretty defining moment for the future of the of the Senators, right? That 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 gets the mojo back. I think that's when we turn the quarter. It's it's like the Canucks finally getting past the Blackhawks. Yeah. Years ago. <laughs> and it'd be interesting because I think uh, it would mark a real shift in the balance of power in the Atlantic division because that would mean that the Senators, A, were running with the Lightning, the Bruins, and the Panthers and Leafs. And not only that, knock Toronto out of round one. Would have been so yeah. good. It honestly would be so great to have that flip of, um, you know, turning the tables on, right? Because if you look how they were back 20 years ago, the Leafs kind of were what we are now. They were more bigger, stronger, more built for to play the more highly offensive teams that we were 20 years ago. So, gentlemen, I don't have really have any more notes on this game if you just want to head off into the close for another evening. One guy I think that would be remiss not to mention is Eric Brandstrom had himself a game. He had one assist on the scoreboard, but the guy, when he was on the ice, Hawks were just going towards the Maple Leafs net. We're talking about 75% expected goals, five on five. That's elite. And Eric Brandstrom was playing against, I think he was pretty much matched against the Mark, the Matthews line most of the night, so it wasn't like he was getting easy minutes either. The Brandstrom Soup Line was fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, SenseCast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, the second half recap, or 
you want to give some praise to Canuck from the Suns Cops or joining us for tonight's episode, shoot us an email, thirdlikeplugsetscast at gmail.com. So that wraps up the 2021 Ottawa Senators season with a final total of 23, 28, and 5. Final thoughts, guys. Did any of us see us being five games below 500, especially how we played in that first half? No way. <laughs> so, well, I think by halftime, we were talking about uh, how likely it was we were going to pick first overall, and we're all running draft lotteries. That's true. I'm sure there's probably people still out there doing that, but, you know, this is a huge improvement. I mean, honestly... This is a very, very positive steps going forward and continuing. And you know what? Next season, the Senators are turning 30. There could be a potential playoff berth right there looking for us. So, Canuck? Yeah, I'd like to see. Good. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I think we'll fight. I think we'll be in the mix next season. But I think we're going to have a tough time. I think, you know, if we do slip into the playoffs, it's going to be one of those wild card spots. And the only reason I say that is not because of my lack of faith in the Sens. It's because of my recognition of who the other teams are. And I'm sorry, like the Toronto Maple Leafs are still highly offense, very much a regular season team. I don't think that's going to go away just yet. So uh, you look at the other teams and strong teams. So, you know, the, the top players, the top teams are going to be the top teams, but uh, I think we should be able to get in the mix. Mm-hmm. If we can get to the dance, who knows? Because I think out of the two conferences right now, the East is probably the stronger conference right now. Yeah. 100%. So, Canuck, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule this evening to join us for our Season 4 season finale. Now, two things before we let you go for this evening. Where can the where can our listeners find you on social media, and where can they find your podcast, the Sense Collops. So I am uh, with the Sense Collops, which is at Sense Collops on Twitter. Uh, that's uh, you have all the information, sensecollops.com for our podcast. Uh, that's kind of our group Twitter. You never know who's tweeting from that one. My personal one is at Canuck of SCU, just because SNs Collops, trying to find an abbreviation there. So at Canuck of SCU. Guys, I really appreciate you inviting me on. It's it's always fun to, to, to meet new fans and to uh, to uh, you know cross pollinate and, and promote you guys. Mm-hmm. It's always fun having different people on, get to see where everyone in the sense community is and things, right? Because as much as we like to describe sense Twitter as a singular noun, there's so many different thoughts about absolutely everything sense and it's just awesome to kind of get the full scope of it you know now the final thing Canuck before we let you go for the evening and it's becoming tradition here in the third like punch sense guys is that we get our guests to either yell or say hot Sam bacho so can you close out our fourth season by giving us a hot Sam bacho hot Sam bacho until next season guys I am your host Taylor Gibson and this has been Tim Jensen. See you in season five, guys. <laughs> <laughs>